The ability to speak with confidence and present for impact is easily the most valuable skill you can have in today's world. When you can share your knowledge, you can facilitate change. And when you can facilitate change, well, you can change the world one conversation at a time. But most people think they can't speak articulately, confidently, or with impact. They get choked up by nerves, they lose their words, or that dreaded imposter syndrome shuts them down. Well, I'm happy to say that speaking is a skill that anyone can learn. Yes, even you. And that's exactly what this podcast is all about. My name is Kat Matson, and welcome to Speaking with Confidence. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Speaking with Confidence with Kat Matson. Yes, that would be me. And today I have just the most delightful of gorgeous, of spectacular, of multi-talented, multi-passionate, multi-hat wearing guests to, um, to share her insights and the crossover between art and writing and speaking. Today's guest is Valerie Koo and look, Valerie Koo has a Wikipedia page. So, you know, there's a different level of, ooh, and Valerie, I have known of Valerie for too many years. And as we both say in the interview, I'm not willing to acknowledge how many years that is because it will age us both. But I first came across Valerie's work when she was a journalist for the Sydney Morning Herald, The Age, the Dynamic Business Magazine, when she was a business writer and a business journalist. And I've since come to know her through our collective membership and work and involvement with her business. And Valerie runs the Australian Writer Centre. She is a stunning artist who paints the most amazing flowers on massive canvases. She's been a festival director, she's an interviewer, she's an MC, she's a public speaker, and she's just a gorgeous human being. And so in this conversation, in this interview, you will hear some of the similarities between writing and speaking the lessons learned that um, Valerie has discovered over the years in fine-tuning her speaking skills. You'll also hear the discoveries that she made in interviewing business owners and entrepreneurs and the mistakes that they make in telling their stories. We talk a little bit about Valerie's book, Power Stories, and she will share one of the epic stories that every business owner needs to have. It's a fantastic interview. It really is. It's just so juicy so rich and so full of insights and in the vein of working out loud in the interest of learning from other people's experiences Valerie absolutely delivers so I really hope you enjoy this interview with Valerie Koo. Valerie Koo it's so awesome to have you here um so many reasons why it's so awesome to have you here, but I'm going to let those unfold as we talk. So welcome to Speaking with Confidence. Thank you for giving me some of your time today. Oh, I always love talking to you, Kat. I mean, it's fantastic. I'm honoured to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Now, in the intro, I've given listeners a little bit of an overview about what you do, but tell us in your words, what do you do? Tell us about all of the hats that you wear and perhaps why you do all of these different things in your life. I do wear a lot of hats. So one of the main things that I do is I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, 
which is um, education and training writing courses. And it's for people in Australia and around the world who want to learn how to write better, whether that's to write their own novel or to get content published or write thought leadership or do travel writing. It's the whole gamut of writing. And there's lots of different courses to help different people, to help people at different stages of their writing journey. So that's one key thing that I do because I have a background as a journalist and I absolutely love the world of writing and publishing and I just love the written word. Um, in more recent years, I have discovered, I, I scratched a creative itch and I discovered the world of art, visual arts, painting and so on. And so I went down that rabbit hole initially as a hobby, but that hobby turned into a full-blown obsession. So now I sell my artwork around the world and um, uh, that's great fun because I love painting. I, I, I paint, you know, um, into the wee hours. I, um, I have a studio um, in North Avalon that I share with other makers and it's just a great creative boost and a great kind of parallel career to what I do with the world of writing. I love that, a parallel career. And we can see one of your artworks, obviously, behind you. You yes. paint the most spectacular flowers. Um, why? No, not why. Have you found any kind of similarities between the writing and the art? Like are there parallels? Absolutely. The creative process is actually very, very similar because whether you're writing or whether you're painting a, um, uh, an artwork, they're, they're similar in that the start of the creative process is always often the, the, you know, something sparks it, some idea, some urge, some thing, oh, wouldn't it be interesting if we did this or if I started this painting of this particular peony or dahlia or whatever, right? Or you have an idea for something that you want to write and you, you plunge straight into it and, and it's great and it's really exciting. Um, but then there comes the middle, and this is why there are so many people who have unfinished novels in their bottom drawer because they never push past the middle because the middle can sometimes feel like a hard slog or it can be the period where you're racked with self-doubt or it's just time consuming. So you might be painting an artwork and you're in the middle and you just, this is going to go on forever. <laughs> or you're writing a book and it's just like, you know what needs to go in it, but it's just going to take all this time. Um, or sometimes you, you're, you're actually creatively stuck. That's a, that's a genuine thing as well. Um, but that, there, are all, there are techniques to avoid all of those things, um, whether you're writing or whether you're creating a piece of art. But then you get to the end where you're nearly at the end and you can see the finish line you go oh, this is going to be great I've, I'm finally there but often it's the last 10% that actually takes up heaps and heaps of time to really get it to a stage that you're proud of as opposed to just a good enough stage you know to get it to a stage where it's like oh yeah I do love that and 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 I and I'm confident in in charging for that and mm. all that kind of stuff so it's very similar actually the creative process for for both of those things it's not dissimilar either to preparing a presentation. I will often completely underestimate the time that it's going to take me to finish a presentation because, as you say, it's that last 10%. It's like, but it's not perfect yet. It's not perfect. It's not right yet. I can't put it out in the world. And yep. I'm forever staying up until the wee hours of the morning preparing a presentation that I know. I, I say to myself, you know, this is what happens every time. And yet, and yet, yeah, yep. you're right. It is that creative process. <laughs> 
Now, one of the things that you have done as a writer, and I mean, gosh, we could we could spend hours talking about your experience as a journalist and speaking to people and um, asking them questions. But one of the things that you've done as a writer is you've written a book called Power Stories, which is the eight stories that you must tell to build an epic business. Why did you write the book? Like, I, I, I have my theories and I have my passions around why storytelling is so important as a business owner but I'm really curious why did you write the book? Initially it was because as a journalist I did specialise in entrepreneurs and small business owners and people in the business world and I I spent seven years writing a column for the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age uh, interviewing these people and what I realised over a period of time is you, I would talk to people and they would be great at telling their stories and they um, they were interesting, they were engaging, they were made me want to know more about these people and their businesses and there was equally a whole group of people who you could talk to them for half an hour and you still had no idea what they did because they could not articulate what they did. They could not tell stories that were useful or interesting or didn't, you know, put you to sleep. And so I thought, okay, well, there's a whole group of people who need some um, help in this area. And that was one of the initial um, uh, the, the initial drivers of the book because I knew there was a need. Uh, in addition to that, I was passionate about storytelling anyway. You know, I'm a writer. I, I love reading about people's stories. I love reading stories generally, whether they're fiction or nonfiction. So it was just a good marrying of, you know, those two things. So would you mind sharing one of the stories that we need to learn how to tell? Like what's one of the stories? that we should be telling. Oh, okay. Well, one very simple one that applies to everyone, um, whether you have a product or a service really, uh, is the story of the thing that you want to sell. Um, often we are so busy talking about the, the, the features. Now we've all heard about features and benefits and it's, it's important to explain the benefits um, and not just list a whole bunch of features like specs, you know, or how many hours you might get of this or, or, or um, how much storage there is in a particular product or, or whatever. But we often forget to paint a picture by telling a story. So one of the things that um, oh, I once had to move house and uh, I wanted to get rid of a lot of furniture and stuff on, um, you know, Gumtree or eBay or whatever. And at the time I hadn't done anything on eBay and a friend of mine sold lots of things on eBay. And I just didn't even care. I just wanted to get rid of this stuff because I couldn't bring it to my next place. And she said, oh, you should try eBay and because um, she's very successful at, at selling all these things. So I thought, yeah, give it a go. So I had outdoor furniture, I had gym equipment, I had cat products, I had <laughs> all these things that had to go, right? Uh, but what I, I it was just my natural tendency to tell a story. So I had this outdoor furniture, which um, instead of, you know, just talking about it's made out of, I don't know, I don't even remember what it was made out of, and the height and all this kind of stuff, I told a story of imagine coming home on a hot summer's evening. Imagine dining al fresco and sipping your Chardonnay as you did, you know, X, Y and Z kind of thing. 
And I sold that outdoor furniture for the same price I bought it for years before. And that was a, a common thing in all of my eBay sales. And my friend was going, how are you getting these prices? And I do believe that one of the key reasons is I told the story, right? With the gym equipment, you know, I told a story of how you could be transformed and so on, <laughs> rather than just say it was nine kilos and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I think that that is an often overlooked um, story that, that people can so easily incorporate in their, not only their website copy or their product page copy, but also just in their discussions with people, rather than just focusing on a list, a laundry list of here's the things you get. Yeah, I love that. And I heard you say too that you were, the story that you were telling was the transformation that the product was going to give or the item was going to give. It wasn't about here's a table. It's this yes. is a lifestyle. This is this is something that's going to magically change your life. <laughs> you you mentioned that one of the drivers for writing the book was these interviews that you had done with business people, and you know there were the people who were very engaging storytellers and the people who weren't. What are the mistakes that people make when it comes to either telling their story, or maybe it's not telling their story and instead giving I don't know what they think they should be doing. Yes, because it's not only um, that I interviewed them for, story, for you know, uh, articles that I wrote for the print newspaper, I used to host a whole lot of um, small business functions and talks and seminars and stuff, and I would interview people in real life as well. Uh, but one of the mistakes people make is, it, I mean, of, of, co of course it depends on what story they want to tell, what message they want to get out there. But they tell the irrelevant stuff. I once asked this lady about how she started her muesli business. Now, it's it's not Carmen's muesli, just so that <laughs> just so that we're clear, it's not Carmen. It's a different brand, doesn't exist yes, anymore, it's, not... it's okay. <laughs> um, about her muesli business. And she kept going on about Egyptian spices. And I was like, I don't, I could not understand it was like 20 minutes about Egyptian spices and I could not understand what that had to do with the muesli. And I said, oh, are there Egyptian spices in your muesli? No. Oh, uh, is it um, because uh, – what's the Egyptian spices got to do with the muesli? And she said, oh, nothing. I said, well, why did you tell me about it? She said, and she said, oh, because it happened. So just because it happened doesn't mean it's relevant to the story you should be telling. People just think they need to tell you their life story. <laughs> and it's funny um in a in a post um that when this goes to air um it's a couple of weeks old but we were talking about fire hoses anonymous and it was a phrase that was coined by one of my community who basically said oh I need to be a member of fire hoses community of fire hoses anonymous because I'm forever telling people all of the things because I'm so excited and I'm so passionate I just and when I get nervous I just tell all of the things so yeah Egyptian spices I think that will be the subheading now of Fire Hoses Anonymous <laughs> I think that's very funny um, you've obviously done a lot of speaking as well I mean I've I, it's funny how we remember and forget different things I remember reading your interviews back when you did that mm -hmm. and I'm not going to say how long ago it was because it feels it will age both of us unnecessarily <laughs> um have you spent time learning how to speak or mastering your speaking skills? Is it something that comes naturally and you've kind of picked up different skills as, you, as you've gone? And particularly the interview skills, because I actually think interviewing is a really clever way 
of working out loud and learning new things at the at the same time as building your own profile. So that was a big question around what have you done to develop your speaking skills? Yes, well, speaking and inter- interviewing, I'll take, I'll do them separately. With with speaking, um, I initially started speaking because I thought, oh, I should try get into speaking. This was a long time ago, and I didn't think I was great. Um, I didn't think I was bad. I, uh, but it wasn't until I got a coach that I, you do, you don't know what you don't know. Like, like I said, even if you don't think you're bad or you don't think you're amazing, you think you're fine. You think you'll do a fine job. And I thought I'd do a fine job. But, but honestly, when I got that coach, I just realised there was so much more that I had to learn, so much more uh, that I, I could learn in order to be um, good, you know what I mean? And so it was such a uh, – I'm so glad I did it because there are so many things that you don't even think about – um, when you start speaking, you know, just because you're you're not scared of talking in front of a big crowd doesn't mean you're good at it. Uh-huh. <laughs> so so um, I I always tell people absolutely invest in a coach because I think that that is one of the best things you could do if you actually want to be a good and engaging speaker. Like I said, just because you're not scared of the crowd doesn't mean you're good. And because I've hosted like MC'd a lot of um, events where small business owners and, well, lots of people, they don't have to necessarily be small business owners, um, uh, are, are talking. I've seen the whole gamut of, of mm-hmm. <laughs> quality. And um, so, yeah, definitely I did invest in it. I, I, I think a coach is a fantastic thing because um, I learnt so much. Uh, and also, well, in, in, in terms of interviewing, um, you're right. I think interviewing is such a really it's it's a skill, right? Mm-hmm. And I did it by watching great interviewers mm-hmm. and noticing what they did to um uh to really make it amazing for the audience and that mm-hmm. was the key part. And um some of the mistakes that interviewers make is they assume that the not, that the audience knows whatever it is that the person has just mentioned. So it's so important to kind of just do the little aside and explain to the audience what it is. Or on the other side of it, the the MC, the person, the interviewer, does know a lot about what the speaker is is talking about. And and it's almost like a private conversation that they don't include the, the audience in. So um, I think that uh, watching good people as, in, as interviewers, but more importantly, not just watching, but analysing and unpacking why, why they do what they do, I think that that's really, really useful. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, yes, that, that private conversation between two people, I mean, there, there's a balance, right? And whenever I'm briefing my panellists for a panel conversation, I'll always say, on one hand, this is a conversation amongst peers, but you need to remember there is an audience and the audience wants to hear this level of juicy conversation amongst peers. Mm. And you're right. That's, you know, it's always then making sure that the whole room can understand the in-joke or what was just referred to or the jargon or the background or whatever that case may be. And, in, in, and on that point of ex- inclusivity, I was at an event once with a very big name. Um, it was a very big event with a big uh, 
well, a high-profile speaker, and even that po um, point about inclusivity, even that she was turned to the side, which is fine because you can't actually yep. face everyone in a giant room, but she did her hair so that <laughs> so that it covered basically one side of her face. So there would have been at least 600 people who never saw her face through the whole thing because of simply the, the way she did her hair. So it's so important not just in the way you speak but in your body language yeah. as well. Yeah, it's quite literally how you show up and mm. how you bring in your entire room, whatever yep. your entire room is. Um, I love that you sought out a coach would would you be willing to share with us one of the things that your coach suggested that you work on? Don't not oh, asking wow. you to reveal all of the deep dark secrets, but so what was... many, so, <laughs> so many. many. Um, one very simple one is speak to the whole room. Go to talk to the person at the back of the room. Often you just talk to the some. I see speakers and they only talk to the people in the first three rows. And, and they only look at the people in the first three rows and you feel very excluded if you're at the back. So sure, look at some of the people in the first three rows, of course, but also speak to the back of the room. I think that that's so, so very, very important to make everyone feel like they're part of the action. Um, the other thing that um, I, I, as soon as she pointed this out, I was like, oh, okay. And you see it in so many people is the pacing. People oh. who are new at speaking, they pace up and down, up and down. They speak okay, but they seem to think they can only speak okay while they're pacing. And so it's like a t when, if you're watching, it's like a tennis match. It drives you bonkers because they're just pacing up and down. Fortunately, that got caught in me very, very early, so I stopped that very early. Um, but, yeah, I've, I learned so many things. I mean, that's just a couple of them, right? Yeah, I love that. And we, we actually spend a bit of time on the body movement on a large stage in the Impactful mm -hmm. Presenters program because people say, well, so if I don't pace, does that, does that mean I just stand still? And I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> no. But you use your movement deliberately. You, you use your movement to um, include a larger section, to create visual interest, to mm. wake up the people who are in the middle who kind of have just been down on their phones and then they sense the movement. There's there's purpose in your movement, not just pacing. Yes. <laughs> and wearing out the carpet. Another huge one is um uh well that that applies to uh more so women um is the the pitch, the, the level of your voice. And um, and it's something that I never really thought about, even though I remember now in year six, <laughs> Stephen Audet, hi Stephen, if you ever watched this, <laughs> on the bus said to me, why do you talk so high? And I it never even, I just didn't give it a second thought, right? Decades later, decades later, when I was, um, you know, working with a coach, I realised that that high pitched voice was actually because some people say, "Oh, but that's just me. That's my normal voice." And I realised that it actually wasn't my normal voice. I had somehow trained myself to speak at this high pitch, <laughs> or I don't know why, just conditioning or you know whatever it was. And I just then I start started to rediscover my actual pitch and the profound difference profound I can't even overstate what a big difference that was it made to the way I was treated 
the respect that I got and the amount that I could, <laughs> could charge was just by that simple change. I think that's fascinating and you're spot on there where it's we question whether that's an authenticity thing and mm. in your case it wasn't. You'd, be, you'd elevated yourself up. But in a world where we are used to and familiar with deep, lower tone voices, they bring calm, they have an effect on our neural pathways, they have an effect on our bodies, yes. there's not a right or wrong about that. That's not a male or a female thing. That's not a gender thing. It's just how we're wired and recognizing that if you drop, <laughs> just calm down a bit. You're spot mm. on. There's, there's authority and there's gravitas there's reputation and there's and there's fees. Yes. I could not believe the difference it made. It was massive. Unbelievable. That's awesome. Mental note to self, do some more work on my voice coaching. <laughs> Valerie, um, there's so many things that I want to ask. There's so many things that I want to ask. I do want to come back to a little thing that you dropped in right at the very beginning and it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with speaking but I suspect it has a little bit to do with authenticity. And you said... You like to go down all of these different rabbit holes. Tell us how you overcome that voice in your head that says, no, 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 don't do that. That's a waste of time or you should be doing this. And that curiosity and that notion of hmm, this is an interesting rabbit hole. And how has it worked for you? I don't stop myself. I don't say don't do that. I let myself go down the rabbit holes. That's why I'm up till 3 a.m. every night. I love rabbit holes. I mean, so I have to, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's something that um, I, I am a big believer in going down rabbit holes or leaning into whatever makes you curious because that is, it's, that curiosity is there for a reason. Mm-hmm. and you should follow it. Now, you go down the rabbit hole and then you'll lose interest and it's in some cases and then you'll know, okay, well, I'm not going to go any further down that rabbit hole. That's fine, but I've, I've taken the first couple of steps to see whether it was one that I should have gone down and there are other ones that you just keep going <laughs> and somewhere in there is a message to you. Somewhere in there is something that's telling you you either need to explore it further for some reason or there's something here that you can use in what you're currently interested in and what you're currently working on, mm. without a doubt. I love that. And so on that note then, um, you are somebody who wears many hats. I call you multi-passionate. That's a little bit like me. How do you build a profile? How do you build professional credibility when it feels like you're doing different things? How Do you weave all of those stories together or do you keep them separate and kind of isolated? I've done a bit of both, to be honest, and it depends on how big that particular aspect is in your life, for example. So if it's only just a small interest, then sure, you know, you can talk about it or post about it or whatever. But if you've actually got other interests that are bigger, it might be more useful to be dedicating your outward persona to to those things that you want to necess- you want to be known for, kind of thing. Mm. Um, having said that, you know, if there's something that just piques your interest, like something I posted yesterday, just because, just because I just thought it was really interesting, <laughs> was this piano ballad, a YouTube of a piano ballad. Um, <laughs> Uh, composed based on the iPhone ring. (laughs) You know, I don't care. That's just me. I'm going to post that. But, yes, I understand people think that they need to um, 
uh, be known for one thing. Mm. And it depend, like I said, it depends on how big those things, those other things are in your life and whether you, you want to be known for those things as well. Because you either make the decision to combine it all, because it depends how aligned they are. Like if it's mm. motocross racing and um, floral arrangement, they're not really going to go together. But if there is a nexus, you can combine it. So mm. it really depends on what they are. Yeah, and there's a season too sometimes, isn't there? Sometimes you've, the public persona is all about this and then other times it's like, oh, yeah, here are all the things. Mm. Valerie, I could talk to you forever, but our listeners might not want to hear that. Um, so <laughs> in the interest of wrapping this up, would you share with us your number one speaking tip? I know we've already talked about a few, but what would be your number one speaking tip for business owners and community leaders who are striving to make a bigger impact in their universe? I, I guess I have to come back to the thing about the, the your pitch, yeah. your, your voice register, because it made such a profound difference in my life. Mm. And it's something that people often don't think about. Um, so, and no, well, that number one and that number two, get a coach honestly you don't because you don't know what you don't know yeah yeah it's one of the things that I love about the coaching sessions in the impactful presenters program people sit there and go oh my goodness I had no idea and yet that's so easy to fix and I'm like yeah it is it's really easy to fix it's not hard once you can see it Mm -hmm. Valerie thank you so much for joining us for speaking with confidence now I will pop a link in the show notes to power stories but where can people go to find your art and to find more about the Australian Writers Centre uh, if you want to have a look at my art journey, that's over at ValerieKoo.com. That's K-H-O-O. And the Writer Centre, the Australian Writer Centre, is over at writerscentre.com.au. Perfect. Thank you again, Valerie. I just have so enjoyed this conversation. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Kat. Well, I told you she was gorgeous, huh? And I told you that it was going to be a juicy conversation. I hope you enjoyed In particular, what I want to reinforce was Valerie's um, call out of telling the relevant stories or sharing the relevant information when it comes to discussions or formal presentations. Egyptian spices, fire hoses, they don't help. They don't help your audience or your listener move through that path of where they are now to where you want them to be. So yes, focusing in on what it is that they need to hear so you can move them forward rather than all of the things that are in your head. I also want to just reinforce that importance of at least being aware of the pitch and the tone of your voice and if necessary, looking to lower it. It doesn't make you inauthentic, it makes you impactful. And of course, I can't let her final tip go, find a coach find a coach because you don't know what you don't know. And that's exactly what the Impactful Presenters Program is all about. So if you'd like to know more about the Impactful Presenters Program, head over to impactfulpresenters.com, impactfulpresenters.com. Depending on when you're listening, you will see either my How to, How to Stop Rambling ebook. Or if you're lucky, and in fact, if you are listening right when this has been published, you will see the information for my Speaking with Impact free workshop, the Speaking with Impact free workshop. So head over to impactfulpresenters.com. 
I look forward to seeing you next week with another juicy interview where I get to work out loud when it comes to speaking with confidence. But in the meantime, I hope you have a fantastic day and here's to confidence and here's to impact. I'll see you soon. Thank you.